Your age is still going to be your age. Take confidence in what it is that you know as far as your profession and let that lead the way as opposed to trying to manipulate yourself in your age. I'm Ian Harvey from New York City, and you're listening to You're a Financial Planner, Now What? The podcast to help you fast track your career by bringing you meaningful conversations on topics that influence new financial planners, their careers, and the lives of their clients. Jacqueline Shattuck, CFP, AWMA, is a financial planner, author, and speaker who is passionate about improving the profession. In this episode, Jacqueline and Alexandria explore how the financial planning profession can do better and how Jacqueline's dedication to growth built her career even during a pandemic. But first... This episode is brought to you in part by Ryan Insurance and the FPA. Did you know that FPA provides a wide variety of group insurance policies for their members? Even more important, did you know that February is open enrollment for all of their insurance plans? From short-term and long-term disability to vision, dental, and health insurance. Yes, a group health insurance plan and even business overhead insurance. FPA and Ryan Insurance have you covered. We help our clients every day with their insurance plans. Be sure to make sure that you're covered as well. To view the options, get quotes, and to sign up, go to associationinsurancebenefits.com to find out more. So today we have Jacqueline Shattuck on today. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I know our listeners are going to learn a whole bunch from you today. I know I'm super excited. Thank you for having me. I'm excited as well. <laughs> no problem. So um, one of the things that some of our listeners might notice is your name was also in the Next Generation Planner. Um, We got a chance to hear a little bit about your story and what you're doing in your career path um, as one of the articles. And so we'll make sure to add that in the show notes so people can get a little bit more insight on who it is that you are and kind of what got you to the place you are at as far as your journey in financial planning. But today, we'll really focus on a couple of topics, just diving in a little bit deeper um, into your interests and just what advice you have for our listeners and then the future of financial planning. I think you have a lot to share. Um, So let's just get started. Uh, You know, one of the questions I love to ask some of the people that I have on is just, wanting to hear more about where your money relationship started. So maybe you share a little bit of what that looked like for you. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's funny because that's a question that I'll ask my new clients. I typically ask them, what's your first memory of money? So to have somebody ask me that question in reverse <laughs> is a little bit different. But <laughs> for me, my my story started um, actually in, let's see, when I was a child. So my first memory of money is I had a foster brother and this foster brother, uh, his mom would come pick him up from time to time and they would go do things. So this particular time they asked if I wanted to tag along. So I tag along and, um, I feel like this was when target was getting really big. Um, like probably the late, it was probably like nineties. I was a child. And so we go to target and, her, his mom is like, hey, do you want a slushie? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. So let's go get a slushie. So I pull up, open my little Velcro wallet. Like, Shh, okay, let me get my money out to pay for my slushie. And his mom is surprised. Like, why are you like six years old with a wallet full of money? That's confusing to me. <laughs> and I was like, well, I just, you know, work and save my money. I'm like six years old. And um, so she was like, okay, well, that's fine. I'm not going to have you pay for your slushie, but I appreciate the gesture. So 
it's funny that, you know, my first memory of money um, or where I think my money journey kind of started is just from, uh, you know, being a saver. And honestly, I'm one of those people who there was a lack of money in the household growing up. And so it, it can go either way when there's the lack of money in your household. But for me, I ended up being a saver because of that. I never wanted to be in situations where I didn't have money to get my necessities. So that started for me at six years old. And that was my first kind of memory of money. You know, a lot of what you shared just kind of touched. I'm sitting here listening and I'm like, oh, man, that's a lot of what my memory was. I, I was that same kid that had a wallet and just thought the world of having whatever, a dollar or a couple quarters in your wallet. And you just felt so empowered by that. And I remember mine was like a little Mickey Mouse wallet, you know, like <laughs> it had that same little, you know, awkward Velcro on it. <laughs> but it's, it's so interesting how like our memory of money and like our first uh, like response and relationship with it, you know, um, it, it just is really important because it starts um our journey with money and how we kind of end up to doing what we are doing today. Um, so I, you know, we know you're a financial planner and you have your CFP right now, but where did you maybe first get introduced to the financial planning profession? My first introduction to the financial planning profession, I have to give a big shout out to FPA for that <laughs> because when I was in college, it would have been my junior year and it was actually a classmate who was getting the FPA of Georgia emails and said, hey, I got an email from FPA, says that there's a career fair today, you know, at like three o'clock. And mind you, this is an 8 a.m. intro to finance class. And I was like, oh, really? Can you forward me that email? And she was like, yeah, sure. So that's how I got acquainted to FPA. That's how I really got acquainted to the profession. So I had already decided that I wanted to be a financial planner. I was just trying to figure out how to make it happen at that point. And so um, I don't know if you believe in in God or divine energy or <laughs> a higher power, but, um, you know, or manifesting, that's a popular word, manifesting your desires. But you know, that just happened to fall in place for me then. I know a lot of people have, you know, have an association membership with FPA and they work directly in a volunteer capacity. What did you do as far as volunteer when you first was starting out as a financial planner that gave you a lot of maybe confidence or motivation or just inspiration that this was one of your callings? You know, was there something that, that had that connection for you? So at the career fair, I was able to solidify my first internship, which became my first job out of college. And going through that process and learning more about FPA and learning that this was a place that I wanted to be, I was like, well, I definitely need to volunteer here, like for sure. Um, you know, my advice to younger planners is always to soak up as much knowledge and soak up as much advice from other advisors that you can get early on in your career, especially in the first five years, um, because that's when you're just learning about the different planning techniques, et cetera. And so I encourage people to soak up as much as they can at that point. And the way for me to go about that was to do that through volunteering with FPA. And so, like I said, I got my first internship through that career fair and speaking with my mentor and boss at the time, he was like, yeah, you definitely should stay involved. This is how you should go about it. 
you know, this is what FPA has meant to to me because he used to be, um, he's a past president and worked very closely in the diversity and inclusion position. And so, uh, you know, he really encouraged me to continue working with FPA and to stay involved. What would you say in your journey from, you know, maybe that first internship to where you are now in your career path? What were some of maybe the harder barriers that you had to overcome or endure, you know, as you're in this professional journey right now? Whew, that's a good question. <laughs> and I've brought it up a lot recently in the podcasts and interviews that I've done because I tell people, I always explain the story of like, it's a very A to let's call it J kind of a story. I started here and then it was this great trajectory and now I'm here. But the truth is all of the in-between looked very, very uh, ambiguous, if I could say that. Um, So the in-between phase, you know, at a certain point I realized that I felt like I wasn't being utilized for everything that was in my head. So I felt like, I could do more and I needed to push myself to my potential a little bit quicker. So my in-between phase between getting started and now, there's been um, just a lot of growth on my own, on my own, pushing myself forward. And so with that, there's been, um, there was a leap from being a W-2 to being self-employed and figuring out how to go about that. You know, there was a certain point when I felt like, I wanted to be um, more of a financial planning associate for multiple financial planners. And so I went self-employed. I had a very large contract here in Georgia, and then I contracted out with financial planners all over the nation. And so the in-between phase, I've just tried, I tried to figure out where it was that I fit in. You know, at a certain point I realized, okay, this doesn't really get me to where I want to go. And for me, where I wanted to go was always being client facing. So I don't, I don't recommend that everybody does that. I think that there are so many positions in the financial planning world that you can work that isn't client facing. If you want to be a financial planner, you don't have to always sit in front of the clients. You can do things behind the scenes. Um, not only the planning, maybe you do more of the investment advising behind the scenes. Uh, maybe you're working in operations Um, something like that. So you don't always have to be client facing. But for me, and the reason why I got into financial planning, I always wanted to be client facing. So I took that position thinking that it was going to lead me somewhere greater. And it really didn't match up with exactly what it was that I wanted to do. So the in-between phase has been um, just a journey of learning myself, remembering that life is fluid and things are always changing and to always be comfortable with changes and to be flexible. So it's been, it's been not as beautiful as I would say um, the face of the story comes off. (laughs) One of the things you touched on about like being client facing, I know there are so many career paths now. What was it that made you go, I really want that is my career path is being client facing. Like, how did you become so sure about that decision? So I actually knew that I wanted to be client facing from the first day I went to that FPA career fair. And the reason why that is, is because when I got into financial planning, my whole purpose for doing so was because my family had been victim to poor financial advice. And I felt like that advisor didn't do his job. 
there was no fiduciary standard for him. Um, but I just feel like all financial planners should be held to a fiduciary standard. So I feel like if these advisors were held to this higher standard, then less people would find their finances in turmoil. And so that's why I got into the profession. I, as I explained earlier, didn't know the best way to go about it. (laughs) So thank you, FPA, for the career fair. (laughs) But I always knew that I wanted to be a financial planner and I wanted to be in this profession. And because of the reasoning for wanting to be in the profession, because I feel like people who are not giving good comprehensive advice, that's always made me want to be client facing because I want to be able to sit in front of somebody who has a financial issue and tell them, hey, this is your solution or hey, I actually don't know the solution at this moment. I can either redirect you to somebody who knows or I can figure out the answer and get back to you, which is something that I felt like that advisor was lacking when he provided advice to my family. I know that there's a lot of people who, you know, join a profession, you know, this profession and maybe in the first couple of years, you're really just trying to get your footing. Right. But you come to a point where, you know, you're in that comfortable space. <laughs> You've been at a job a couple of years, you're doing stuff over and over again that you clearly know how to do now, but you're in that comfortable space and you know, it's time for that growth or, you know, it's time to take on that project you know you're not sure about. What what examples or what advice you maybe have for um, people when they get to that point in their career and how do they overcome that? So when you get to the point in your career where you don't feel like you're being utilized to your full potential, you have to do a self-evaluation and just figure out what it is that you ultimately want. If you are comfortable at your job, then it's time to have a meeting with your supervisor and manager, one of the lead advisors, sit down with them and say, hey, these are the ideas that I have. These are things that should be utilized. These are the ways that I can help the firm. One, that's helping you with your own growth, but two, could get you a pay raise. Everybody likes a pay raise. So I would say that you need to just make sure that you don't let that go unnoticed. And one of the biggest things that I've learned being a financial planner is, drum roll please, it's patience. It's patience with people. It's patience with building wealth. It's patience with working with a team of other people because you learn that everything doesn't work on your time. And, you know, I want to encourage you to extend not only yourself grace on things that may take longer, such as, you know, I pursued the accredited wealth management advisor designation from the College for Financial Planning this last year, and I wanted to get it done in two months, which is way uh, faster than average, but it actually took me much longer, um, especially considering COVID, so it took me closer to nine months to actually complete that. And, you know, I'm just kicking myself during that time, like, hey, you should be getting this done. But I, you know, realized, hey, you need to extend yourself grace. Like We've had a pandemic. You know, you've gone through other business endeavors. You know, you've been working with clients during business, busy season. So you need to extend yourself grace there. So just like you need to extend yourself grace, you need to extend others grace as well. So when it comes to letting your firm know, hey, I think I could be utilizing these other ways, 
just understand that it doesn't mean that they're necessarily overlooking you, but they have a lot on their plate as well. So I would approach that conversation with them from that kind of a perspective without, you know, without assuming that it's going to, you know, be something immediate that changes. Just let them know, hey, you know, I think that I could be doing more. And if that works out for you, that's awesome. If that doesn't work out for you, um, say it's another six months or so, and they you still feel underutilized, then it's time for you to, uh, what I call, pick your head up and take a look around and see what your other options are. Um, everything doesn't necessarily have to be leaving the firm. Maybe it's you decide that, um, of course, compliance approved, that you start a podcast or you write a book or you create courses um, or maybe there's some things that you want to do for the firm that you just go ahead and do and you submit them to your supervisor instead of saying, hey, these are the things that I can do, showing them, hey, these are the things that I've done, you know, use them or don't use them. So I think that there's a lot of opportunities for you when you feel underutilized. It's just figuring out what it is that you want next long term and then just actually making that happen. The next thing that I really want to make sure we talk about is the future of financial planning, right? Obviously, we are young professionals. We are the future, right? But there's several areas where we can be doing better to help ourselves and the people behind us and then just to be better servants to our clients, right? So whether that's the increase in diverse talent or consumer education, you know, um, but I really want to hear from you on where do you see the financial profession growing or where could we be doing better? What areas are you most passionate about currently? I think that our profession is lacking in, and I already spoke about it earlier, the fiduciary standard and having financial planners work in the best interest of their clients, not only on retirement accounts, but on all accounts. Um, and even just advising on planning topics and not even investments. I just believe wholeheartedly, you know, obviously from my story, that the fiduciary standard needs to be for everyone in the profession. And I think that that's something that our profession is lacking. And I believe that when we pick that up, that's going to help, of course, with consumer trust. And it's our job to service clients. So the more trust that they have in us, the better that our profession looks. I think that we need some actual standards in place, similar to uh, the medical profession or the law profession, where you need to go to school, achieve these accolades, you know, finish your bachelor's degree, and then you need continuing education, such as a CFP or another mark to show that you are serious about the profession, make sure that you have taken an oath to work in the client's best interest, and, you know, follow that as closely as we can. And of course, there's always hiccups, but I just think that that's where our profession needs to go. As far as growth in the profession itself, it's been amazing to see colleges that actually offer financial planning programs. I didn't follow a financial planning program. I got a bachelor's degree in finance, and then I went to the college for financial planning uh, in order to obtain my CFP. So my journey was a little bit different. Um, but as far as growth in the profession, I love seeing those programs everywhere. I love seeing firms that 
offer internship positions that let people come in and get their feet wet and to see if this is something that's going to work for them. Um, So I think that as far as growth goes, you know, the more programs that we have that are solid for people to earn their, you know, designations or to get an education in financial planning, I think that's going to help grow our profession. And then I think that these firms having these different kind of career tracks in order to give people the opportunities for positions that are salaried. Um, I think that that's going to make a difference as well. I think that our profession really started with commission-based services. And I think that we have grown from there. Um, You know, it's really hard to break into a new job that doesn't pay you anything. And you're just waiting until you start earning money. So I think that that's also some growth that we've seen. And so I think that if we continue to push our profession to be uh, to have legal standards, as well as, you know, financial planning firms doing their part to be inclusive of people coming into the industry and helping people, you know, get solid on their feet as far as salaries go, I, I think that uh, we're going to be on a good track. The number of colleges that are embracing financial planning programs is just crazy. I mean, you're seeing left and right. It's rare now where you see someone go, oh yeah, um, I didn't come directly out of college right now. And you know, you have to get the experience. And so at that point, you know, people really are just ahead now. And, you know, so people need, like you're saying, the career track of having somewhere where they can go and learn and start really embracing the career that they want to be a part of. So you've touched on several areas, but so you have young planners listening right now, Jacqueline, they're going, Hey, I'm hearing Jacqueline. Those are definitely three areas where I'm really motivated to see growth as well. What do you think young planners could be doing now to help those causes or help move those things forward? That's a good question. I think that young planners could be figuring out what the industry means to them and where they want to fit in at. So if you agree with what I said about adopting the fiduciary standard, then I would encourage you to look for your CFP or other credentials that are going to hold you accountable. Uh, Even if you do not want to pursue the CFP, then I would encourage you just just to be a good person, just to be a good planner. You know, if somebody and what that means to me is, you know, you're providing a high level of service. Right. So you're answering a client's question that you can answer. Right. What, What was my return for 2020? You can answer that question. If they say, oh, I want to buy rental properties in Belize, your your response to that most likely should be. I don't know about Belize, so I'm not going to recommend that you buy rental properties in Belize. If you feel confident with that, then cool. But, you know, maybe I can connect you with such and such and -and so-and-so that can help you further with that. I don't think that it makes you a good advisor to say, yeah, just go ahead and do it. Yeah, absolutely. When I'm I'm not well-versed on rental properties in Belize, I cannot give you a legitimate answer on that. <laughs> so to be a good planner, I think it's sharing what you do know, but also sharing when you don't know something. Is there a certain area that maybe you're most passionate about that you're like super focusing on for yourself? 
I will always be a big advocate of the fiduciary standard. And I will always be an advocate for moving that forward. So whenever I push things out on social media, you know, website, blog, interviews, anything like that, I will always be a very, very big proponent of that. And the other thing that I didn't mention, um, which I'm a big proponent of as well, is the diversity inclusion piece. Um, I know a lot of times, especially during 2020, our conversation of that has been about women and minorities, Black, Asian, Hispanic, but that also includes young people as well. So we see a lot of age discrimination in the financial planning world, uh, not only with you know the way planners interact with each other, but also, of course, the way clients interact with you. And my best advice for dealing with ageism is, um, you know, from from me, I have to let people know that it's so much more about your experience than it is necessarily your age. So I've come across career changers who are 50, 60 years old and just coming into the advisory world. And I technically know more about financial planning than they do. But a lot of times from a client perspective, they would be more likely to trust the older person in our profession, which I completely understand. So I try to encourage people to just adopt this diversity and inclusion piece because there's a lot that young people can add to these firms as well. So as far as being an advocate, I'm I'm an advocate for the fiduciary standard and I'm an advocate for diversity and inclusion. You touched on the ageism aspect and I know well, any person who's young right now, that that's a big one, right? They go into a firm and they probably are the youngest um, um, and they have a lot of clients that are older than them. Is there a way that you've been, I guess, portraying or uh, speaking to your clients in a way that makes them feel more comfortable about that? Like, um, like how do you go about that when you are met with the ageism problem at, you know, when you're working with clients? I run into the ageism thing all the time. And at the beginning of my career and what I've seen other young planners do is you try to make yourself appear older. So maybe you throw on glasses. (laughs) Maybe you don't wear that bright color. You wear something a little bit darker. Um, You know, maybe you pretend to know the reference to Elvis's first wife that you don't really know about. (laughs) So... You know, all of that is fine and well, but at the end of the day, you're still whatever age you are. So it's more important that you share your experience with them and less of, you know, just what you know from history's time. So for a lot of people, I share like, hey, um, I may not have been a professional during 2008, but I watched everything that was going on. I saw the decline. I've looked at history. I've seen the numbers. I know it's better for you to stay invested throughout the the times of turmoil than to pull everything out of your portfolio. So no, I was not an investment advisor during 2008. However, history shows and my personal experience at that time, you know, I find it better for you to stay invested. So it's just things like that, sharing your experience with them, letting them know the things that you've been through and not necessarily trying to change yourself. Because the fact of the matter is, especially if you're like in your 20s and 30s now, if you are a next gen, you're going to be considered young for a very long time. 
and everyone's perception of young is different. So don't try to make yourself seem like you're 55 when you're 25 because you're working with an 80 year old. Your age is still going to be your age. Uh, you know, take confidence in what it is that you know as far as your profession and let that lead the way as opposed to trying to manipulate yourself in your age. And talking about knowledge and um, building up that professional aspect, um, you recently have told several people and acknowledged it on your social media platforms about you writing a book. And so you know, I'm super excited to hear more about it. I know I've bought my copy. <laughs> um, curious to learn more about your book, uh, Money Planning and Positivity, A Guide to Better Financial Life. But maybe you share with um, the listeners, you know, what got you interested most about pursuit, the pursuit of writing a book? The real genesis of writing the book was either a podcast or a YouTube video. I wish I knew exactly what it was that, um, so I could shout them out. But I basically read or heard something that was like, hey, what if you could achieve your 10-year goals in six months? And at the time I had my 10-year goals written down, this was like mm, probably 2018, two years ago. And I was like, huh, what if I could achieve my 10-year goals in six months? So I looked at them, I was like, hmm, some of them I can do. Um, Author was one of them. Now, mind you, this book is two years later, but (laughs) it did intrigue me. And I was like, hmm, I wonder if I could get that done. So I kind of did a little bit of research and I know everybody listening to this should be familiar with Kit's uh, blog. And so I used to get his notifications, still do. And one day there was an article for how to write a book as a financial planner in six months. And it laid out you know, this is what you do every month. This is how long it should take. This is where you can get help with that. And I was like, oh, cool. Well, I'm going to do that at some point. And so I I carry around this folder with me of like things that I want to do, goals, projects that I'm working on. And so that article is actually still in that folder, even though this book has come to fruition. And I, you know, would look at that all the time. So fast forward to March of 2020, um, it's going to be the new 2008 conversation. (laughs) It, uh, you know, the steep decline. And I unfortunately got COVID before everything really shut down and before masks were really a thing. So I contracted it basically um, at the beginning and was sick for about seven weeks. And during the course of me being sick, my doctor was like, you need to do essentially nothing because you're not really getting better. And I was at home. So this is via FaceTime. She was like, you pretty much need to do nothing. Don't really work. Like you need to just relax for the most part and sleep. So that was really hard for me. I was only able to do like essential client tasks to keep up with things. And when I came out of that and I was maybe about five weeks in, I was like, wow, I feel like I just missed a lot, like professionally, like personally. So I like this is just kind of how I work. I was trying to make up for lost time. And I was like, well, I'm stuck at home. Can't see anybody. Um, You know, at that point, we weren't really sure how long people were contagious for. So everybody was like, well, you need to, you know, two weeks from your last symptoms is, you know, the, the time frame for not going out and seeing anybody. So I just was sitting at home 
And I decided, okay, this is the time. Like, this needs to be done now. (laughs) And not only were we dealing with a financial crisis, we were also dealing with a health crisis. And not only was that health crisis actual physical health, but it was mental as well. And mental health has always been something that I've kept close to me and something that I've always been very aware of, um, mostly from growing up seeing people that struggle with that. So with that, um, and also I I adopted the tagline of like money planning and positivity. I don't know. It's just something that I started saying like years ago and I put it on my social media, maybe like 2018, 2019. So I just decided, you know, with, of course, my focus always being on financial planning and then my focus as well being on like positivity and us being in such a dark time. I was like, okay, now is the time to like write this book. And, you know, I wrote the book and then was trying to figure out the title. And I was like, it should just be money planning and positivity. I haven't read the book yet, but we're we're getting to talk to the author right now. <laughs> Who was this book for? Like what what what's in the book that you're like, yeah, I want people to get this out of it if they read it. That's a good question. So the book is genuinely for anybody who wants to gain clarity on their financial life. So I wrote this book with the intention of people being able to go back to it time and time again. And one of the biggest things that I preach to my clients is simplification. You know, that's what I'm here for, to help you make your life more simple, especially as we get older. Like, we don't want things to be more complicated. We want things to be streamlined as simple as possible. And so in the book, I know you haven't gotten a chance to get your copy yet, but it's on the way. Shout out to Amazon. (laughs) But... In the beginning of the book, after the foreword, there is a page and this page says what wealth means to me. And it says in a few short sentences, write what wealth means to you now. You will complete this exercise again once you've read the book. So it's really a a book where you get out what you put into it. And that's something that I preach to my mentees is like, hey, you're going to get out what you put into it. So Let's say you do want your own firm five, 10 years from now, but you're getting your experience right now. Well, I need you to soak up all of the experience that you're getting, all the good, all of the bad, everything that happens at your firm from what you guys do for marketing strategy, what, how your planning process works, everything, because you're going to get out what you put in. So even if you don't love the job now, it's not amazing Whatever it is that you soak up, you're going to take those experiences with you. And so similarly with this book, you know, I want people to get as much out of it as possible. And so that's why I added those extra pages for you to be able to write what wealth means to you at the beginning of the book and at the end of the book. I know you touched on the Kitsis article about how to write a book, but maybe share um, with uh, planners if like maybe some pros to writing a book. I know you just, you know, it just got published, but maybe some of your thoughts of why you published the book, like where are you seeing it helping you in your career or what are some of the benefits that can help your career for writing a book? The publishing a book is kind of twofold. One, you get to do a mind dump. So that can be great because 
you get to put down everything onto paper that you've been thinking about, um, stuff that goes on in your mind. And it's a good way to organize it. Like this was a really good way for me to organize a common conversation that I have with clients, which leads us into the second part of why writing a book can be good. And um, depending on what the subject is, it can be your new business card. And that's some of the intention that I have with this book. So I've tried to streamline processes lately and I've tried to figure out, you know, what conversations do I have with clients a lot in the beginning or, you know, just throughout our relationship and how can I streamline that to work with more people? And so that's just kind of a side effect of writing a book is you get a business card. And of course, depending on the subject of the book, you know, you have something that you can help clients get to know you with. So clients who know me, they know that um, we're going to talk about more than just um, what their return was for 2020. We're going to talk about, um, I'm a comprehensive financial planner. So we're going to talk about all pieces of their financial life. So when their daughter is down and out and needs money, um, you know, and she continuously needs money, we're going to have the conversations of the emotional pull on my client to give her daughter money, but also the financial effects of that. So with this book, I break it down um, into four pillars and they're all wealth pillars. I refer to them as wealth pillars. Um, and one of them being time wealth. And the others are physical wealth, financial wealth, and and social wealth. And I break them all down in the book. But you know, time wealth being a big one, just because we are so limited for time that I wanted to talk about that. And I feel like this can really resonate with, with anybody. And I felt like that was a good part of the book. One thing too, that I've heard a lot of people talk about, you know, regarding their books is, you know, their brand, right? They get to know who Jacqueline is, right? They get to hear kind of your thought process to things, how you approach different conversations or what's important to you when it comes to financial planning and the pro- um, and just the process of a client. But uh, it's also the brand, right? And one of the things that, you know, I think you do an amazing job at is kind of your social media content. <laughs> um, you know, we follow each other on Instagram and I feel like I... I'm constantly, even though I'm not a client, I'm like, man, I've, it's it's Friday. Uh, where are we going to do our financial test? Like, when are, I want to questions answered. Keep me, you know, sharp. And it's just like that consistency of branding that I get from you. Like, I, I already know I get that, and I'm not even a client. So maybe talk, <laughs> maybe talk about that. The importance of like, you know, your brand um, as a financial planner when you're starting out and. Um, being consistent about it. So this is a really touchy subject for financial planners because right. as we know in the industry, there is a lot of hoops to jump through with compliance. Right. So you have to be um, aware of that, that your firm may not let you do whatever you want to do on social media. Uh, for me, that's always been a thing that I've checked on. Like, hey, I'm allowed to be on there, right? And I'm allowed to talk about money. Um, the one thing that I don't do on my social media is give like investment advice. So I don't say, hey, Apple just did a stock split. You should buy it now. No, I don't do any of that. But it took me a little bit of time to learn 
Um, well, first, it took me a little bit of time to be okay with social media because a lot of people are not social media people, and I'm not one of them. Um, I don't necessarily. You could me. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. It's been a long journey of getting comfortable with my face being on social media, my business being on social media, not just professionally, but like my personal business being on social media. Um, you know, people asking, you know, who are you dating right now? Where's your family? Like, what are you doing over there? <laughs> Where's right. your mask? Um, so, but the thing that I tell my mentees when it comes to social media, because typically, uh, like my mentees that I've had and a lot of people that I've come across that are early in the financial planning industry, they're not necessarily interested in like being on social media and sharing their stories and things like that. But the thing that I tell my mentees is that um, it's you're working against the grain when you say you're not going to do social media. And I'm not saying you need to get on there and be as personal as I am. Um, I do share more about like my lifestyle and my other interests outside of financial planning. But I think for you to just avoid a very easy way to market to people for free, because you never know where your career is going to take you. So I feel like for you to just completely avoid that is um, almost like a form of professional cannibalism. Like you're just going to say, oh, I'm never going to be on social media or I'm going to be on social media, but I'm not going to let people know what I do professionally. I mean, there's just so many opportunities professionally on social media that I feel like you are just cannibalizing yourself if you're not on there. And um, I think when you get on there, you get comfortable, you'll naturally kind of build a brand, you'll naturally come up with things that are comfortable for you to talk about. I naturally came up with money planning and positivity. I genuinely do not know where exactly that came from, but it just ended up being something I found myself saying a lot, and then it ended up in my bio, and now it's a book. So when it comes to branding, you know, just be aware that people are watching you, and it's important that you portray your best self. So what I heard in all that is you've got to be real careful about what you post, but who knows if you start coining a phrase, it might be your next book. <laughs> it very well um, might be. <laughs> right. Um, so Jacqueline, I want to say thank you because there was just so many, so much information that um, you know, the listeners can take with them about things that are maybe hiccups that they're running into right now or just inspiration, you know, right? Like, mm, I'm inspired by your story because I related with it, because you know, I was that little girl who had that same little wallet with a couple of quarters in it, right? I was a saver from the beginning too, right? So, um, but before we conclude, I did want to just give time if there's something else that you want to share um, with the listeners or if you want to drop a little bit about your new podcast that you're going to be co-hosting on, um, that'd be fine too, but I just want to give this time for you to shine and share um, with them. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so, yes, I am the new co-host for the Uncensored podcast. I think we can probably tag that in the show notes. 
So, yes, new podcast host. um, And my book is out as well. You can find it on Amazon, Money Planning and Positivity. You can also find it on my website, Jacqueline Plans. Uh, I think we'll tag that as well. So those are kind of the things that I have going on right now. I actually always have some sort of a project going on. It's just naturally how I'm built. So uh, keep up with me on social media. There's always something going on. I have some other things in the works that I won't announce right now. But I want to leave you guys with one last note. And this is something that a mentor told me a while ago. And that was just to take any chance that you can to excel. And that meant a lot to me because I was considering, you know, getting another designation or taking on this project or doing that. And, you know, his simple response was take any chance you can to excel. So when you're considering your next move or if you're going to hop on social media or if you want to, you know, do a mind dump and create a book, then I would just encourage you to take any chance you can to excel personally and professionally. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me and happy planning to everybody else. This episode is brought to you in part by Ryan Insurance and FPA. Did you know that FPA provides a wide variety of group insurance policies for their members? Even more important, did you know that February is open enrollment for all of their insurance plans? From short-term and long-term disability to vision, dental, and health insurance. Yes, a group health insurance plan and even business overhead insurance. FPA and Ryan Insurance have you covered. We help our clients with their insurance plans every day. Be sure to make sure that you're covered as well. To view the options, get quotes, and to sign up, go to associationinsurancebenefits.com to find out more. Love what you hear on this podcast? Join us in the FPA Activate Facebook community, where you'll find a community of other passionate planners like you. Not only that, but there are live how we do what we do sessions focused on what real financial planning looks like in practice. Be sure to join us there to lend your voice, become a better planner and help grow the financial planning profession.